Welcome back to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 585, being recorded on May 7, 2020. I'm Sebastian Peake. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom, being tormented by the ghost of Hanson. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Brett Van Spruenberg, and I can't reach any cassette tapes. Yeah, see, the inability to reach cassette tapes is something that we don't talk about a lot. Uh, Josh has it covered, of course, but... Uh, yeah. As you can see from my room, I have a lot of things covered within arm's reach. I I admire that because you are in a Podcast better state bingo, of organization. Yeah. You know, that actually would be fun. We should do that. It see, Josh has Josh has all the stuff back behind him where you can see it on camera. I have it all around me where you can't see it and it's far worse. So, I think Josh has it has a better setup. That makes me feel a little bit better. It's a disaster. But yeah. everywhere you can't see. Uh, let's just get right into it. This is, I, I don't want to say it's a big week because it's not like we got a new processor architecture or a new GPU. But we got a new cost king, like a new price performance king on the CPU side of things. And it's pretty amazing if you actually start to think about the implications of a $100 to $120 processor and we're talking about the Ryzen 3, the 3100, and the 3300X. And I just, I'd like to get everybody else's impressions about this because I've been living this for the last week. What do you guys think? $99 and $120. You've seen performance from our review and other reviews around. What do you think? Well, didn't we kind of talk about this a couple of weeks ago where, you know, essentially, um, and I know that it was it was very kind of you to do a, a tweet that uh, had my my prognostications uh, in there, but it, it wasn't a very hard prognostication because we kind of knew the, the IPC of, of Horizon, and we knew the, the basic uh, clock speeds that we were dealing with, but it still is, it's, it's nice to see that the 3300X really is an i7-7700K plus type product in just terms of, of performance and you're getting it for 120 bucks. Is that right? How much? Yeah. What? That's what they're estimating the retail. Of course we haven't seen it yet at retail, but yeah. if it starts, if it's that's, really that's, selling for that price, that's amazing. That's ludicrous. Cause Absolutely yeah, you can amazing. still get an i7 7700 K for 300, 360 bucks, depending on where you get it from. And I know that they've come out with, you know, later products, but, uh, what the, um, uh, it's not until the 10 series that will have kind of a true competitor to the 7700K in, in, in the lineup. And we don't know what that's going to uh, going to go for yet. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's nice that we can get that kind of performance for essentially one-third of the price. And you're going to have better thermals than a 7700K at full bore. Oh, yeah. It's always been a hot chip. Hot so- chip. I actually I forgot to add power to the review, but it it does like every processor on Earth, it does consume more than its TDP if you're driving all cores with good cooling and you're able to hit higher boost clocks. But you're still talking about something that is well south of a 7700K in both temps and load power. But continue. My cat. How many cores does your cat have? At least thirty-two. I was going to say nine. That's, not, that's nine. not a multiple of nine. So what? Yeah, all 36. cats have nine cores. So 36 cores? Nine cores. Yeah, 36. Yeah. Well, it's nine 
compute units. But I don't so know there's a compute is. unit, but I'm kidding. <laughs> a lot of cores. Dang rainy. She keeps uh Sebastian, I don't think your seventy seven hundred K is gonna is gonna sell for as much as it, it you thought it was going to, by the way. Oh you know it's it will. People on older platforms who don't want to move up, that becomes their highest this is the problem with the Intel used market, just to go on a tangent here for a second. Oh yeah. Because you get on a platform and then there's no you hit a roadblock. It's like, well, I can't move up to an uh, 8,000 series processor, even though it looks the same and essentially is the same. I have to get a new motherboard. So then the 7700K is this product that still sticks around at $300 in the used market. This is, let's look at eBay. It's insane. That's one of yeah, the things two that was. Yeah, 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Not just two to 300. I'm, I considerably, I consistently see it for like 290 to 320. It's nuts. Yeah. But that's why, like, to Josh's point, it's not a big surprise to see the performance of this. It's just weird to actually have it in hand and run the benchmarks and then see, wow, this really is. Because it's in my head that that's a $300 processor and that's the performance of a $300 processor. Now, we have up on the screen, if you're watching the video, the Ryzen 3 topology slide. And this was really interesting. We were not allowed to talk about this. We were briefed about this when we first heard about the products coming out. But Josh, I'd love to pick your brain on the podcast here about the difference between two four core or two um, units, the two actual uh, CCX units within a CCD, a triplet versus only one and how there's advantages to that beyond just... It's it's not as subtle as you might think is what I'm trying to say because you're you're not splitting up the level three cache. There's less uh, latency between these. So yeah, it's 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 all it's all latency and kind of data location. Uh, you you don't have this intercommunication in between the CCXs, and so that cuts down a significant amount of latency by I think like a third. And it's uh, it's. You know, when you're dealing with gigahertz processors and it can get to data and it can, you know, kind of access threads. Because you know how cores, how how Windows accesses cores. Like, you know, core one's busy, then it goes core two. Well, sorry, core zero's busy. And core two, core... And it, I mean, it, it, it jumps threads and, and whatnot in, in kind of the background. And, you know, unless you, uh, um, you know, really you know, put a command in there that assigns that workload to, to one core. But I mean, you've got so much in, going on in the software that, that shares that data that will access that data that when you're decreasing the latency by that much, you, you do see a pretty serious increase in overall performance because you're, you're keeping those pipelines filled. You're, you know, executing on commands that much faster. And uh, overall, you're going to see a jump up uh, from what the 3100 which is, you know, yes, it's slower clocked, but not that much. And uh, it's just it's just a, a significant jump. So it's, you know, what do they say? IPC raises all, you know, all boats, you know, or, or rising tide raises all boats. It's, it's the same thing is you, you know, decrease some of the things that are holding them back. And suddenly your processor is, is taking off. Now it's not 33% faster. 
than uh, you know a, a 3100, but it is going to be a significant jump upwards. So, any other things? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that if we were to have done testing with the two CPUs at identical clock speeds, it would be it would be enlightening. I know Gamers Nexus they released a video this afternoon or evening where they've done just that. So they've been working hard at at benchmarking these two, the 3100 versus the 3300X. I personally would not buy a 3100. I think the 3300X is absolutely worth a $21 premium. I just, it's faster clock speeds and no core-to-core latency issues. So what's not to love? I think the only competition it might have is the 1600 AF, honestly. You get two more cores, more more threads. I completely agree with you. I had bought one of those and it arrived just a couple days ago. I never even took it out of the box. I was, I already picked 10 processors and was benchmarking all these new benchmarks, but that's, I'll, I'll cover that soon. And there's other uh, benchmarks out there of it. I think gamers Nexus again, they benchmarked that one. The problem I'm seeing though, I feel like the 1600 AF was a stopgap for AMD. It was a way for them to hit a certain price point when they didn't have the Ryzen three processor product Mm -hmm. available yet. And if you look online right now, there are no cheap 1600 AFs to buy in the U.S. The yeah, the price is wrong. <laughs> yeah, the, it's 150 bucks on Amazon now. Yeah, that so, doesn't surprise me. It was it's a stopgap, yes, but it was it fits in perfectly. You know, it it is a very impressive piece of equipment for the price that they're charging, and it's. Uh, Flexible. It can be used in a lot of different uh, scenarios. It's brilliant for gaming, but it's also good for just general purpose sort of things. Uh, Serve the Home actually put up a, uh, it has a, you could reuse it as a server chip. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an outlier, but it's not impossible and it'll work. But like you say, it, it's going to be really hard to find for a long time. I don't think, I think it's like the Intel KS. It, it's, you're not going to be seeing a lot of them and you're not going to be seeing second or third waves. I don't think, I'd hope so, Yeah, but I don't think yeah. so. That's my concern. It'll be this sort of magical thing like Marvel's QDO chip. It's going to be this thing where people talk about it in legend and song. And then if you actually want to buy a frame master, it's $800 <laughs> on eBay. So... Uh, not that I'm bitter about selling a friend a TV with a QDO scaler in it for way less than I paid for it or anything like that, but that's neither here nor there. I think the, I, I think it's unlikely that they do continue to produce the 1600 AF. Why would they continue to produce a lower cost variant of the 2600 when they they can focus on their seven nanometer production from TSMC and just get more of these Ryzen threes out the door? Because now that hits the price point. It hits the 100 to 120 dollar price point. There, there is room in the middle, though, so maybe that selling at 149 makes sense because then the next model up would be the Zen 2-powered 3600. Yeah, it is an $80 MSRP. jump. True. Yeah. True. So it's it's sad to me that it's going to be so much more expensive. I literally paid a week ago, a week and a half ago, $85 even for my 1600 AF on Amazon. Oh, you just got so, right in under the wire. I know. I know. It was in my cart, and I thought about it. I'm like, if I don't buy this now, I'm always going to regret it. So I just bought it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could talk about a little bit more. We haven't really covered the review results. I mean, we basically 7700K. That's all you need to know. It, it's This is the performance of a 7700K. I will mention that 
every one of these not terribly impressive looking results. Uh, if we were to actually look at my spreadsheets behind the scenes, you would see kind of a staggering amount of data. I only used maybe a quarter of it for the review because I just didn't have enough time to make all these charts. Uh, but every one of the results in the review is brand new. It's brand new as of like the last two weeks of benchmarking on a fresh install of Windows. I had in- installed the latest firmware for every motherboard, so they're all running their newest BIOS version. And I actually waited. We had the Ryzen 3 processors in hand a couple of days before the latest AGISA code was released by manufacturers. And I think MSI was the first to have it. I grabbed our MSI X570 ACE board, updated it with the beta BIOS to get the latest AGISA version, just so I wouldn't feel like I had to go back and re-benchmark these again later. But I don't think... 1005 makes that much of a difference over 1004. It's just a, a roll-up of uh, previous updates, it seems. But we will see. Anyway, it just... Uh, one of the other challenges I will briefly mention is gaming benchmarking. And I went on kind of a regrettable rant about this. There are actually... I have to admit, there are circumstances in which it does make sense to test at 1080p with a high-end graphics card. And really, it's just this. It's You're trying to measure CPU performance. It's very frustrating to run benchmarks at what you would consider reasonable settings for the level of hardware you have, and then try to put all the results together on a chart and realize that there's either no variance or the variance doesn't make any sense. Like I had at least one instance where a 30 or an 8100, a Core i3 8100, was outperforming a higher-end Intel CPU. It just doesn't make any sense because it's, it's the variance between runs it, a lot of this has to do with GPU performance at that point where was it not signif- sufficiently cooled after the previous run and then it wasn't boosting quite as high. So then it was two frames per second lower because that's the kind of variance you're measuring when you're doing CPU reviews is like a one to two FPS variance. It's just kind of an exercise in futility and frustration. But we got through it by using things like the Dota 2 uh, benchmark where you have a much bigger variance because the frame rates are so much higher at 1080p at its fastest preset setting. So, and even then, I think it's going to be valid to, to go back, uh, use some of the extra data that I have to look at a post on finding the CPU bottleneck. Because I think with in light of these processors coming out, we see how good they can perform at 100 to $120. How much higher do you have to go before you're just spending extra money if all you're doing is gaming but again, it's going to be resolution dependent and it's going to be, are you like a competitive gamer or are you just looking for the best image quality? So we won't belabor the point anymore. And hey, there was more AMD news this week. I know they clarified something on the, the B550 chipset. I think it might be later on down on the list. Yep, that's next. But let's quickly talk about the Ryzen Pro 4000 family. Jeremy, you posted this. I know that I, I attended the briefing, but it's been so long that I've I've probably forgotten quite a bit of it. I do remember a couple of the, the questions and answers that came up at the end, but you want to briefly take us through what Ryzen Pro 4000 is? Oh, sure. Although you've probably forgotten more than I ever knew about this uh, this new processor family. I, to be honest, like to start out with the great news, uh, as you can see from the picture there, HP is going to have two uh, well, actually, three separate uh, products that are going to be running 
the new Ryzen 4000 chips. And Lenovo is going with uh, four or five of them. Uh, in both cases, you get like a, a slightly smaller and larger skew. But it's been a long time since you've been able to go out and shop for a Ryzen-powered notebook without having to put a lot of effort into it and, you know, hunting down fairly rare uh, manufacturers or, you know, that one particular uh, process or pro- product that had the Intel pro- or the AMD processor in it. As for what the uh, Pro Four uh, Pro Four Thousand series is, you've got one of each SKU. So you got a Ryzen three, a Ryzen five, and a Ryzen seven. The frequencies have been increased a little bit, not not a huge jump, but the base frequencies have been dropped significantly, at least on the i sevens or the Ryzen seven side, which is specifically being done to give you a bit more battery power on the various laptops that they're going. The Ryzen 3 has had a big change. It's now multi-threaded, whereas before it was just a single-threaded processor. The Ryzen 5 has is, is got a small bump from 4 slash 8 to 612, but the, the Pro 4750U has doubled its core count. So you've got 8 cores and 16 threads, which on a 15-watt, a TDP processor is more than a little impressive, to be honest. Now, because these are the Pro series, uh, you, you're going to see these in uh, being absorbed by enterprise because they've got the baked-in security on the chip. Uh, there's a variety of different uh, security features that there's offered over and above, you know, the mitigations for Meltdown Spectre and all of our favorite friends that are out there running around right now. When you look at the slide deck that AMD provided, uh, which Sebastian got to see live, Ryzen is, or AMD is saying that the Ryzen 7 should offer about twice the performance per watt as the old uh, 3700U did. And, you know, to be honest, from looking at the, the press specs of the HP and the Lenovo laptops, the, the battery lives quoted are, you know, pretty significant. Uh, the lowest one is floating around 17 hours Others are around 20 hours, which is, you know, quite lovely for a business laptop that gives you a a really long flight and a lot of stuff to do. There's relatively light. Uh, Most of them float between, you know, three and a half uh, pounds at the heaviest down to about two pounds. So they're going to be quite portable. But uh, I mean, what I really like to see, and I'm hoping that Dell is also going to wander into this because obviously it is a viable choice in this generation, that we're, we're going to start seeing more of this sort of thing offered to businesses. Because in a lot of the time, I it's, it's not that they're cheaper products, they're just slightly less expensive. And they're going to have a lot of the security baked in that, that you really want, your ability to support them through Microsoft Endpoint and a variety of other features that Intel has had a monopoly on for quite a few years now. And this sort of jumps them, jumps AMD in, into a marketplace they haven't been able to play in for a while. Uh, Sebastian, what else did you get out of this? Well, the one thing is you mentioned uh, security implementation mitigations, that sort of thing, because that's obviously really big in enterprise. They made a huge, uh, probably the biggest part of the presentation was about this because they're layers of security. So obviously you have HP and Lenovo, et cetera, have their own, like Lenovo has ThinkShield and Microsoft obviously has security baked in like BitLocker, for example, other things. AMD is talking about their 
layers that they're adding to this. So memory guard is one of the things they talked about with these, which I was a little curious about because it it sounded like it was potentially going to have a bit of a performance impact because it's full encryption on your memory at all times. So like with BitLocker, everything on your drive is encrypted. This is memory encryption. So somehow your laptop gets into the wrong hands. And it, even though it's extremely unlikely and requires a level of expertise that none of us have, it's possible to get data off of RAM. And they don't and specifically saying, mention it, but I, I suspect this is also mitigation against Rowhammer. Ah, okay. Uh, and a couple so, of the different memory attacks we've been seeing recently. So that's great. I mean, if if everything end-to-end is secure and encrypted, it's worth a bit of a performance hit. But they said it was minimal. I don't remember the number because I asked that question. And it, it's a small but measurable mm-hmm. impact to perf- memory performance. But they already... They already have good memory performance with Zen 2 anyway, so that's probably not that big of a deal, especially on a laptop, but it's it's nice to see more options. One other question that I had for them during this presentation, it wasn't really Ryzen Pro mobile specific, but just we, we've seen amazing performance numbers, great reviews with Ryzen 4000 mobile so far, and yet it seems like every time we get a press deck or you know another announcement from a laptop company, it's almost entirely Intel-based. I said, are there any inroads you guys are taking? Any progress you can share about uh, taking more market share away? Because the lion's share still seems to be Intel and all these new laptops. And they were a little coy about it, but the guy sounded a little, I don't know. You get kind of a feeling when they answer a question like, well, we can't answer that right now, of course, because we can't can't talk about future products or agreements we have with our partners. But, you know, I think 2020 will be a great year for for Ryzen on laptop. And so it sounded like they were sometime in the second half of this year, we're going to see a lot more Ryzen laptops. Another, another person on the call asked specifically about Dell, because we don't see Dell's name in conjunction with, with AMD a lot. And like all of these, we just talked about our Lenovo and HP. It sounded like, although they would not confirm anything, they also would not deny that there are new Dell Ryzen 4000 powered laptops coming this year. So I'm looking forward to it that. It would be odd the if they didn't have at least one. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Personally. Uh, two things. Uh, you know, implementing encryption hardware into a memory controller, you know, while it has its challenges, I mean, it's not going to be an extremely, I guess it's, I mean, Seven nanometer process is really, really tiny. And you throw a couple hundred thousand gates at something, and it's not going to take up much space. It's not going to eat up much power. And so we we may see in the future uh, more type of implementations like this because, it again, it's, you know, encryption is really, really well known. And getting there at a silicon level is... I would like to say relatively easy as compared to other things. I mean, for somebody like me, it's impossible because I'm an idiot. But for the smart people at AMD and Intel, this is something they can implement. It doesn't take a lot of die space. It doesn't take a lot of power. You are going to see a minimal hit in terms of performance. But again, it's you're building for that. It's not like you're using the general compute uh, nature of, 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 of a CPU to handle this, you know, encryption, de-encryption, it's all built into that controller. And 
it's going to be pretty fast. And uh, number two is this just makes you realize how good TSMC did with their seven nanometer process when nobody else in the industry is able to match this kind of density and performance. And I mean, yeah, it may be a stretch calling it seven nanometer, but it's still better than what Intel has at 14 plus 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 and uh, a little bit better with the 10 nanometer that Intel released all those years ago that is still kind of trying to release. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of amazing. I mean, it, I mean, TSMC hit home run and AMD bet on the right horse here in terms of both their GPUs and especially their CPUs. I mean, Zen two has been a lifesaver for the company and they're slowly getting there. Yeah. At retail, they're very, very popular CPUs, uh, but mobile and kind of enterprise areas is where, you know, AMD really wants to to strike it rich because those are huge, huge growth industries for the company. Um, Epic. But yeah, I mean, the, the amount of mobile parts that are sold versus traditional desktops. I mean, it's I mean, they've only got a couple of percent, uh, you know, what, 10, 15 percent mm-hmm. in mobile if even that, and this gives them a tremendous advantage uh, in both, you know, just the regular Ryzen 4000 series, but the Ryzen Pro, that's another level where you can expect, you know, some enterprise users to really kind of turn around, take a look at this and say, hey, you know, there, there are some serious battery issues here. There's, there's, you know, not issues, but, but benefits as well as just, you know, overall performance and what all they integrate into that small a package at these TDPs, it's a lot. And uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see who all picks these up over the next three to four months and then uh, how Intel responds to this because this is this is a juicy piece of the pie for Intel because mm-hmm. their mobile processors, they've, they've kind of, they've got it going on. They've, they've got it, everything dialed in. They have been the class leader for ages in the mobile area. And this is really in AMD's first truly competitive mobile part where they have not just the, the hardware in terms of, you know, you got a seven nanometer part running at 15 uh, watt TDPs, uh, but they also, you know, go up to 45 watts uh, in, in certain SKUs, but they have, you know, the firmware down. They, they've got, you know, the BIOS, just kind of getting they're they're getting it dialed in uh, for maximum support of, of memory and how it reacts to boost and how it reacts to thermal envelopes. They're finally at a point where they can be truly competitive with Intel. So this is just another, you know, uh, it's another arrow in the quiver and it's a much needed one. Yeah. They're taking ground at every level. Now, as you're saying, they've got you know, the mobile's coming on very strong. They've got their mid-range CPUs and core counts and thread count. That's really, obviously, their IPC is getting very, very close or surpassing in some cases. Um, and at the high end with their Epic services or Epic servers, they're really uh, gaining some ground. Good for them. They Good also made sure to uh, mention that, that there's a fairly long lifestyle on this or lifetime on this. Yeah. And so you're looking at well over a year uh, of this being available and fully and completely supported, which as a business user is almost one of the first things you look at. It's not so much does it perform, 
It's what happens in six months from now. Am I still being able to buy the same thing or am I stuck trying to migrate to yet another platform? Mm -hmm. And so that, that hopefully people are going to notice that. Is that I thought that was nice of them to add. Business has got this really weird fetish with continuity. I don't know. Yep. Well, they pretend that they do when it's it, not anywhere else. Unless you're Apple, but that's another matter entirely. That's a totally different fetish. Because <laughs> then it's like different. paradigms and dropping legacy support. Yes. Speaking of space, I just gave myself an amazing uh, transition, if that's the word I want. It would have worked Speaking if I didn't bring it up. I know. Speaking oh my of, gosh. that's the, I, I always ruin everything. Speaking of legacy support, there isn't legacy support on in, uh, AMD's B550 platform. And that's because I asked this question in our Q&A. And uh, I said, is this a ROM size limitation and nothing else? And I was told, exactly. So because manufacturers trying to hit price points with budget boards don't want to put the big ROM chip on it that they had to with certain other AMD motherboards of recent vintage... Uh, then you're not going to have legacy support. They just don't have the space for it without buying a more expensive ROM chip and implementing that on the board. So B550 is only for third gen Ryzen and beyond. This is the important thing. And I'm sorry for stealing the story, Jeremy. You can enlighten us all on B550. I just wanted to mention that AMD has a blog post up talking about the exciting future of AMD socket AM4. and Zen 3 is officially supported with AM4 Mm -hmm. moving forward, but only on X570 and B550. So B550 was really more of a, hey, here's a chipset you can buy now that's going to be positioned in a similar way to the B450, but it doesn't have any legacy support because it's going to be the low-cost board for Zen 3. So, But that's reasonable. Yeah, I find it totally reasonable. Yes. I also find it really hilarious. PCIe 4.0 support for a budget system that may use yeah. a buy two NVMe drive. You know, Josh, and for which you I can buy a B450 and be well, working yes. on a current gen processor. Right. So yes, really B450 makes B450 makes more sense if you don't need Gen 4 PCIe. I just look at all of this and think it's hilarious that the wrong company is offering this. Because you would think that if anybody, even on a budget system, You'd want PCIe Gen 4 on a budget board if you're on an Intel CPU, where you only have 16 lanes off of the CPU and you need to maximize that. If it mm-hmm. supported PCIe 4.0 and had 16 lanes of that, it would be like doubling your currently available PCI Express bandwidth. And then you could actually implement a by 2 NVMe drive that has the same throughput as a by 4 Gen 3 drive. And then you could manage all of your you know, 16 lanes a lot better that way. Right. But right now, obviously, on the Intel side of things, you have nowhere near enough PCI Express lanes off the CPU. But on the AMD side, there's not really a shortage. People don't talk about, oh, I wish Ryzen had more PCIe lanes. Plus, they have that PCIe 4 advantage if you want to buy one of these newer boards. So it's, it's nice to give people the, the choice. Uh, the desktop APUs will have, will, will they be that kind of same half of the PCIe lanes that we saw in the, what, 30, 300G, I can't remember the, the name. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's 3,400 right far, now. Far fewer PCIe lanes. And uh, that kind of makes sense with the 4,000 series um, that will eventually come this fall from AMD in the integrated graphics arena. And yeah, that uh, boy, that that does make a lot more sense to uh, utilize the B550 for those because you are dealing with far fewer lanes. But yeah, it again, ROM size, all that stuff. Uh, it's um, you're, you're making a less expensive board. You're making it more focused on the CPUs that it can support, and therefore. Your design time is more adequately used for what you're aiming at rather than getting a more general purpose board that can support everything. Makes sense? No? Bad okay. news? You don't have to touch with Athlon G's anymore, so okay. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Lord. Yeah. Yep. Well, and there are uh, some compatibility issues with the uh, graphical ones that, that they've added on as well. But no, really? it's... It's, uh, yeah, if you follow through, there's an, uh, a Kurt Vonnegut attached to the end of one of their, uh, statements that I'd have to find. Uh, it, I, I love the B550 as it's announced because it offers, as you said, Josh, a little bit of everything at what's going to assumedly be a, a reasonable price considering the price of an X570. If, you got a good idea where the B550 is going to sit. It's probably not going to be as cheap as the 450. Uh, that So far, we've seen that PCIe 4.0 controller does add uh, a bit of cost, and it does add a bit of cooling, which adds to the cost of the motherboard as well. But it, there's just a huge uh, amount, and for our video, list, or for our video watchers, you can see uh, up to 20 usable PCIe 4.0 lanes on a third-gen Ryzen processor um, with an extra four being added. So you got 24, but they, they, they've offered the choice of you, you want to instead use some PCIe 2.0 lanes because, you know, you're, you're looking at some lower cost uh, storage. You're looking at uh, an add-in card that really just doesn't care. And you're looking, you're adding in a two lane <clears throat> ethernet chip. Yeah. Right. Is a need. Uh, you've got a video capture card. I think some of those are only one lane sometimes. Yeah. But so there's a lot of flexibility here uh, to let people, you know, design and as has become tradition, about 387,000 different SKUs on every chipset. Uh, so some will have Wi Fi, some won't. Some will offer you uh, a, a ridiculous amount of USB connections versus some that'll probably go heavily NVMe. Uh, Lord only knows they might do one of the giant uh, GPU cards if mining comes back again. No, it, it, don't even talk. Don't just, even joke about that. Yeah. No. Fine. I mean, it's it's. I still don't find it funny. So hey, uh, it's. Oh hey, look, it's Peter North back again. Oh. Uh, he also likes his chipset. Uh, so yeah, it's just V450 is or B550 rather is going to be, I think, a very good product for people that are looking at building a machine for under a grand that has a discrete GPU in it. Josh, what do you think the possibility is that this 
B550 is simply like a rebranded B450 or a repurposed X470 chipset? Um, <clears throat> I think it's a new chip because uh, you you look at uh, um, some of the differences. I think that all of the PCIe 2.0 lanes went to PCIe 3.0 in the B550. I could be wrong. I was having a discussion with Wendell no, I, on Twitter thank you. a couple of weeks right. back before and all active this. cooling, right? Uh, I have no idea about active cooling. I didn't get that message, or I really haven't looked at the models. I haven't seen so. any non-actively cooled PCIe 4.0s. But anyway, I, they might uh, exist. I certainly haven't seen one. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to have an increased TDP because the PCIe 4.0 controller just it does. It's physics and until they start you know kind of adding more things to it and clamping down on a higher um well a lower process node uh you're gonna see that i'm not sure what the situation is with pca 5.0 or what they're planning with six uh but apparently five is is going to be a more power efficient um version that uh, 4.0 is is not. But again, uh, we haven't seen no implementations, obviously, of PCI 5.0. Uh, we won't for a while. But yeah, AMD right now, they're the only one with uh, PCI 4.0. And uh, there is a price, and that price is a higher thermal envelope. So yeah, and- I mean, it would kind of make sense if it was a new chip. You're going to be cranking that up, and you may need active cooling, which it's not as big of a deal. I mean, some, I mean, there are purists out there who see a 30 to 40 millimeter fan and just go ballistic. Well, yeah, I've been running that that ringing uh, in my ear. Yeah, yeah, I've been running two (laughs) X570 boards in my house, and I've never heard it. Never. My, uh, my cooling for the CPU goes up and down. Even with a uh, you know all in one with the Ryzen, which is one of the annoying annoying things with Ryzen, I've I've never <laughs> yeah. heard the chipset going even at full bore with uh, uh, you know benchmarking PCA 4.0 uh, SSDs. I mean just nothing. Well, never mind that that goes directly to the CPU, which is not the chipset. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hey, you know the that there's a little switch that's like a low and a high switch on the side of those AMD Wraith Spire coolers, I think. There is a little yeah. a little selector switch. I thought, oh, well, you know, what difference could this really make? It's shocking. I posted <laughs> a video in one of our chats of just like 10 seconds of the thing running on full. Like, you know, Josh, mm-hmm. all you have to do is just put it at 100% if you don't like the spikes. It's loud. <laughs> loud. <laughs> really loud. Well over 50 decibels. Like, I couldn't believe yeah. how loud this was. You've got, Delta, you've Delta, got Delta. tinnitus from that now. Yes. Okay. It was like going back in time. It was like one of those big thermal take overclocking. Thermal takes. I was just going to say. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. and it, uh, it's uh, following through uh, the link okay. that uh, the, the AMD story has because one thing that they did do was show off what you can expect uh, on PCIe 4.0 drives 
Galax is doing a Hall of Fame Pro, believe it or not. Ooh. Seagate's got a Fire Cuda coming out. XPG Let is named it after a video game character. Are these uh, using a different controller, or are they all on the same? They won't tell us. Oh. Yeah, they're Brett. Uh, they're using um, they're using SMR. So <laughs> you're just making stuff up now. Yeah, yeah. The capacity is there, <laughs> but just, oh, it's, it's Jim. Jim's back. <laughs> Thank goodness. Hey, Jim, you look great. Looking really Let's, sweet. Yeah. I, I think this you know, we've talked enough. actually uses a um, a slightly different controller. Is it the really? 19 on theirs? Well, it's a fire oh, Cuda, it's still, so... it still flies on, right? Yeah, it still flies on. It's, yeah, it flies on. Ones. Yeah. Let's, let's transition Probably. to the next story for the All end right. of the night. We've talked enough about AMD. Jeremy, talk to us about Intel and Intel-powered things. Oh, all right. Yay, Intel. I don't know that they're that exciting. Oh, better picture than I found. Uh, So there are new Surfaces coming. Once again, I admit, I thought the Surface was going to die, and I was horribly, horribly wrong, and Microsoft has actually started putting out an impressive piece of uh, equipment. You will not get a Ryzen option, as Sebastian said, uh, in either the Surface Go 2 or the Surface Book 3. Uh, you will, if you, you go for the higher-end Surface Book 3, get uh, a Comet Lake processor. If you go for the Surface Go 2, uh, the small sort of hybrid tablet uh, that we've sort of been used to for a long time with a Surface form factor, uh, you will get a choice between a Pentium Gold 4425Y or two or three different uh, of the Intel Core uh, 3 chips, 8th uh, gen. It's of course, the the incredibly small portable version of it, uh, as opposed to the more expensive Surface Book Three. Uh, so the Surface Go, it, it as I said, it, it's sort of the tablet thing. So you, you get a choice between, as I said, the the, the Pentium or the Core Three, uh, the base model, which you know honestly is about four hundred dollars. You get four gigs of memory and sixty four gigs of eMMC storage. Not awesome, but hey. I mean, for the price and what you get, which is not a keyboard dock, uh, that's going to be an extra 130 bucks as usual. Uh, it, it's not bad. If, if you're willing to pay a little bit more, uh, you can get up to 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gig SSD, and LTE connection for $730. Honestly, not that bad a deal for this sort of device. Now, the Surface Book 3 is a little more impressive. Uh, as I said, it's, it's 10th gen Comet Lake. Uh, you, you get a choice, uh, if you're going with a 13 and a half inch model, which is, you know, a little bit less impressive than the bigger 15 inch. You can pick the i7 1065 G7 or the i5 1035 G7. And if, you know, you, the Iris Pro is just not good enough for you on the 13 and a half inch model, you can have up to a GTX 1650 Max Q. Not too bad for a 13 and a half inch, tiny, light as a feather uh, design. The 15 inch model uh, is is the more traditional Surface Book. The do you, do you want to have a, a really really nice PR type, or do you want to have a full out developer? So these ones range, uh, as you can see up there, and I guess the uh, 
lower end one is currently sold out. Uh, but starting at about uh, $1,600 should be uh, one that's got uh, 16 gigs of memory and 128 gig drive. Apparently, they've changed it a little bit since the PR went up. Shocking. Uh, but essentially, if you're looking for a really nice Surface Book 3, uh, you can pick up the 32 gigs, which doubles anything that we've seen on a Surface Book before which have always been limited to 16 gigs. You can add uh, an i7 1065 G7 paired with a GTX 1660 Ti if you're feeling like gaming. But if you're trying to convince your boss to buy it, I mean, it, it's a little bit more expensive, but you can get a Quadro RTX 3000 in this thing. Now, I want to see the, the, the thermals and the noise that this produces because it is a wee little Surface Book. But, you know... To have it effectively being portable and offer you RTX 3000 in a professional situation is is utterly brilliant. It's, you know, going to cost you a significant amount of money. But at the same time, you get a lot of benefits from it. And it's there's not really much that AMD offers that can compete with this level of performance. At the lower end, absolutely. But with this little bit of a higher end... It's it's really hard to say that you know that there is an alternate an alternative out there. So maybe now that we're starting to see AMD make inroads into the various laptop industries, we might see an alternative. But for now, if uh, if you're looking for this sort of power of performance in a mobile uh, platform, yeah, it's 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 the Surface is the way to go. Well, as exciting I, as that oh, is, spending all week not talking to anyone has made my tongue. A little bit odd. Did you hate that? And I forgot to even grab a drink. I haven't spoken to anybody other than my wife and son in a few days now. And then on top of that, I slept most of the day. because so I stayed up all night last night finishing my review. Like literally, I watched the sun Cheers come off. Cheers to you, friend. I've, I've done that once or twice before. Yeah. Boy, you know that, that makes kind of miserable. Yes. You, you start making the coffee around midnight. Uh, yeah. That yeah. Yeah. I, I, I okay. I started off. Tell me if I did this right. I started off drinking beer, and after okay, you did midnight, it wrong. But okay, <laughs> so I, I started to feel kind of B fifty twos. Caffeine and, and alcohol I, at the same time. No, it wasn't a good mix. So I, I then started drinking coffee and Diet Coke. And then at one point, I was drinking coffee and Diet Coke simultaneously. Like I would drink some mm. from one and some from the other. And nom, nom, nom. I I ate a tremendous yeah. amount of like snack food all night. I finished an entire bag mm-hmm. of Snyder's uh, honey mustard pretzel bites, and just it wasn't good. The whole thing wasn't good. I ended up with that that cold, clammy, shaky feeling by about seven a.m. Mm-hmm. And then I slept most of the day. I don't even know what day. It doesn't even feel like today anymore because I slept from about three when my wife got home until eight thirty p.m. But let's talk more about stuff. Okay. Yes, the, yeah, the life of a hardware mention. reviewer is a very healthy one. It's not. Learn uh, from us. Never do this. I always tell people, never get married and never review computer hardware for a living. All right. Uh, That'll be 10 popular nanometer. when you explain that later. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're two for two on that one. I know. It's okay. <laughs> 10 nanometer ice lake. We've talked about 14 nanometer plus, 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 plus. 
So we're blue in the face. Obviously, more 14 nanometer processors are coming with the 10th gen soon on desktop. Where the hell are all the 10 nanometer Intel chips? And it Apple, turns out... speak to the hand. Yep, it might be an <laughs> Apple exclusive kind of a thing. They finally fixed the 13-inch MacBook Pro, so it's actually worth buying for the first time since 2015 again. Yeah. Uh, it's got a nice keyboard. Yeah, because they went back to the 2015 keyboard. It has a better keyboard. Does it really? Well, I mean, mm. not a nice keyboard. It has a better keyboard. Oh, so it's not as That's good as 2015, but better than 2018. It's not quite the same as the older uh, keyboards, but it's way better. Yes. They just couldn't leave well enough alone. You know, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm glad Johnny Ive is gone because yeah, as yeah. beautiful as their products were for two decades, he didn't really care about durability, longevity, and overall functionality. Do you, quite do you eventually drown in your own hubris? I think so. Or you yeah, start up a new it, company and it's tradition. leave your hubris behind. Yeah. And you name it after a shiny toaster or something. I don't know. What is it called? Like love design or something? Yeah, that's it. It's yeah, I don't remember. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, but seriously, apparently this is that, a, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just I'm just looking this over. I I I had heard this a couple of days ago that Ice Lake was going to be there were certain SKUs at least that were going to be exclusive to the new MacBook Pro 13 at least for a while. This used to be the norm. Do you remember when Apple first switched to Intel back in 2006? They had Paul Ottolini on stage with a wafer, and it was a big deal. And then for a while, the newest Intel parts tended to show up in Apple products before they hit the mainstream market. True, yeah. That I remember. And that was when I was telling people, it was right around 2007, I think I bought an iMac. And I'm like, you know, honestly, if you want the latest and greatest from Intel, it's going to be in a Mac first. Like the MacBook Pro notebooks were pretty much the gold standard because they would have the newest chipsets and the newest CPUs and they would adopt. It seemed like on the PC side, Dell was usually the first to adopt a new standard, like a new memory standard. I think Dell had the first laptops with DDR2 memory or something. And then on the Mac side of things, they always had cutting edge hardware in them. And then they just became these sort of glorified commodity items over the last few years. And they went with Intel's ultra low power processors, the Y series and their regular MacBook lineup, and this kind of became overpriced garbage. But hey, maybe they're crawling back to relevance with this by not shipping a product with a broken keyboard that is literally on a recall list. Oh, Apple, not Intel. Uh, yes, I'm talking about <laughs> Apple. Get Sorry. Things confused. Either that or they were so just done with the performance envelope of the uh, Intel CPUs that they demanded something better because the rumors out there, honestly, right now that they're going to be switching to their own uh, CPUs in the future anyways, which is they're looking at it. it, Yeah, it's actually very close. The rumors out there that they're very likely to switch to the same CPU architecture that they use in their, their phones and their, their iPads uh, for their laptops. And they're going to have a period of transition. It's not like they haven't done it before. I mean, they moved from PowerPC to Intel. So they and have a, that 6800 uh, to PowerPC. Yep. Again, yep. very they true. Have. Although the Motorola large large Endian was very much more similar than than big Endian to little Endian, so I got to hand it to him on that whole thing. 
Uh, but you know, they, as we found out later on, they, they tend to have a lot of this stuff running in the labs, their labs, obviously years and years before. So it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, they've already ported everything and, and they've been doing it for 10 years. What do you think that the Catalina is simply mm-hmm. phase one, get everybody off of 32 bit apps and kind of create more of a restrictive controlled OS environment with desktop first. Oh, and definitely. then I mean, transition yeah, from there to their proprietary uh, processors. I think it would be a lot easier for them to move forward on a 64 bit code base sure. uh, with whatever kind of uh, layer there might be. Remember when they went to Intel, they had Rosetta. That was their emulation layer that allowed you to run PowerPC applications on your Intel yeah. Mac. Mm-hmm. And the performance wasn't great, but that was literally at the time the only way to run Photoshop on a Mac for a while until right. Adobe right. came up with Intel native versions. And you cannot currently run older versions of Adobe applications on Catalina. I have Guil- guilty. Uh, yeah. I have a perpetual license, like back when they actually sold, like, you know, a license for something for Lightroom 5 and 6. Now, Lightroom 5, I don't know why you'd want to run Lightroom 5 anymore if you own 6. Well, there's one good reason, but uh, if you install it or try to install it on Catalina, it's just got that that stop sign over it, like the, the circle with a line through it. You can't install mm-hmm. it. So it. No smoking. It's just, yeah. There, this is the future of the Mac. You can't install applications that are only like three or four years old unless they're 64-bit. And I think they will transition to their own SOC. If you've just if you've looked at the Mac operating what, is that system recently. No, it's not. I think it makes perfect sense. And it's funny because there's already this whole intercompatibility issue with the OS, not necessarily the hardware, because you can run boot camp and run Windows on any Mac that's been made since 2006. In fact, you don't even need boot camp just to make sure it works as well. You don't even need that. I literally got a Windows XP CD and this Mac Pro 1 dot one that I have in the basement here. And a few months ago, I'm like, does this even work? It's in like this bashed in case. And I'm like, why do I even have this? And I started it up with a new hard drive and a Windows XP CD and just installed Windows. Like as long as the, the, the boot camp layer allows you, it's like a boot manager and allows you to, right. to boot the two operating systems. And it has like, you know, drivers, easy driver install and stuff, but it's not actually necessary. I could install Ubuntu or Windows on any Mac. Yeah. Currently because they were made. a very early adopter of EFI. So that's the reason yes. why you can do that. Do you know how much this simplifies this idea of simplifies the the iOS development ecosystem? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, it's, it's like you've got, you know, things on on iPhone and and they they kind of mirror it a little bit on on their their Macs. But now you're going to a a single code base and ARM has been exceptionally aggressive over this past decade with how they have uh, uh, developed their products and their ISA and Apple's taking advantage of this. Uh, other manufacturers are taking advantage of that. We, we've seen uh, Microsoft, you know, with their, with their windows on arm and uh, their latest ones, which actually use arm chips. Um, it's going to go that way for Apple. And it's, I'm actually surprised that they have not made the jump sooner than what we have seen, because, you know, about 10 years ago, I, I, I was theorizing that, you know, this is when, when portables and, and handhelds were much more popular 
that I thought, you know, Microsoft would go with ARM for their next-gen console. And same with Sony, because they've got, you know, PlayStation Vita, uh, which was ARM-based, I believe. And then, you know, their games were developed for an x86 on the PS3, PS4. No, PS3 was power still, but PS4. And I, I thought that we would see everybody uh, who had any kind of handheld and still had, you know, a higher powered version of either like a desktop computer or a laptop or a console that they would just kind of go arm and, and go arm up and down the line and just improve their, their software development uh, um, so that they don't have to deal with x86 uh, and power and arm at the same time. But that that still hasn't happened yet. But it really does look like Apple will be the first to make that dedicated jump. And um, you know, I'm very curious if if they really are developing uh, ARM type products that will fit the 45 to 65 to 100 watt TDP envelopes. It's going to be very very interesting to see uh, because you know right now Apple still has one of the most powerful SOCs um, for cell phones out there, period. And that's in-house design based on an ARM ISA. I mean, they're not licensing cores. They're developing their own cores. Now we see that A13. Is it the A13? Yeah, it's the new one. It is. The current one. Yeah. And with, uh, in, in a, you know, $250 handheld. That's pretty good. Two ninety nine, actually. Two ninety nine. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to talk later about the new one that I just ordered. So nice. <laughs> hey, but to wrap I don't this think up, that's going to uh, change. They're oh, going to hold that uh, pinnacle for a while. Hey, Josh. Like that, that's just an amazing mobile chip, and I don't see yeah. anyone nudging them out. Um. Well, maybe next year, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They if they don't they don't stand one. still either. Oh well, there's no. If everybody lives, every you know. But yeah, they, we're gonna they make don't. it, guys. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it so we can buy the latest and greatest Apple products if for no other reason. That's what keeps me alive. <laughs> By the way, the the top official Ice Lake chip, as Jim so helpfully added to our show notes, is the Core i7 1065G7, which is a 15 to 25 watt configurable part with a base clock of only 1.3 gigahertz and a max boost of 3.9 gigahertz. The Apple exclusive chip is the Core i7-1068G7, which is configured at 28 watts and has a higher 2.3 gigahertz. Yeah, well, it's it's a gigahertz faster base clock, and then it goes 200 megahertz faster at the boost, 4.1 gigs. For 3 watts? This is clearly oh, a very, well, very 15 very to 25. Day. Yeah. I th- the Apple exclusive part of it is, okay, your 10 nanometer is a disaster, but can you bin us a chip that will actually run at 4 gigahertz? Can you bin us a chip that will run at something higher than 1.3 base so we can use and it don't in call a performance it the machine? Yeah. So it's the 1068G7. Yeah, I think that's true. I think they really did, you know, sort of bend them over a little bit and say, you know, give us well, something. Well, they got the money, too. Embarrassing. No, that's yeah. more, Why? we'll throw money at you to solve this problem. Yes. 
Yeah, like five like motives. It's like I teach my son every day. I teach my son. There's very little in this world, very few problems that you can't solve by just throwing a lot of money at them. Okay? Just like, like the Kennedy. The thing about Intel is it's forced heat, chemicals or money. And the thing about <laughs> Apple is they also have a lot of money. Yeah. They have more money in the bank than most countries. It's true. It's astonishing. But let's pause here for a moment for an ad. Today's show is sponsored by Text Expander, an incredibly powerful and handy tool for Windows, Mac OS, iOS, and Chrome that can save you hours of time by automating, simplifying, and correcting text input. At a basic level, Text Expander runs in the background and automatically inputs your custom text, including images, whenever you type a corresponding abbreviation. For example, you can configure Text Expander with a snippet, as they're called, that contains your full signature, including name, job title, email, and phone number. You then assign that snippet to an abbreviation that's easy to remember, but unlikely to be typed otherwise. So in this case, you might use something like ZSIG, SIG for signature, and the letter Z in front to prevent an unintentional snippet call. Then from virtually any application that supports text input, just type ZSIG and your full signature will appear. But that's just the tip of the iceberg for Text Expander. You can configure snippets that are hundreds, even thousands of words long if desired. You can add images and formatting that is automatically applied. You can even add automatically calculated variables, such as the current date or time, and then input date calculations, such as adding or subtracting dates and times from that current date. For example, let's say you have a small business that sends order updates to customers, noting the date the order was received and the expected ship date, which for your company is generally one week. With Text Expander, your snippets can contain all of the normal text you send to customers, including images, and variables that list the current date as well as the date one week from then. This type of email, which might take an employee three or four minutes to type out normally, can now be automatically generated in one second by taping in the handful of characters you chose as the snippet's abbreviation. Text Expander even allows for more flexibility by allowing snippets to have predefined fill-ins. These can be single or multi-line fields, an optional either-or selection, or a pop-up menu of choices. And if you have trouble thinking of some of your own snippets to create, you can even subscribe to public snippet groups that focus on auto-correcting common business and product names, fixing contractions and words with accented letters, automatically generating lorem ipsum placeholder text, and cleaning up and properly formatting copied JSON scripts. And because Text Expander is available on so many platforms, no matter how you set up your snippets, you can sync and share them with all of your devices and even other Text Expander users. All of these features are great for individual users, but there's also Text Expander for Teams and Enterprise, which not only lets users share their business-related snippets, but supports important features such as single sign-on, usage statistics, and user and group permissions, allowing businesses to decide who can use and edit their shared snippets. At a basic level, the way Text Expander works seems so simple. But when you start to use it and see how flexible and customizable it is, you quickly realize how incredibly powerful it can be. Even if you end up using only short snippets, if it saves you a few seconds on each action that you perform dozens or hundreds of times per day, then you're looking at major time savings over the long run. There's so much Text Expander can do. If you'd like to see more examples of how it all works and get some ideas for your own snippets, head over to textexpander.com videos. 
where they have some great video tutorials. And also check out textexpander.com slash webinar for interesting webinars and improving your productivity. I've used Text Expander for years, and I really think that once you try it out, you're going to be hooked. You can check out a free 30-day trial, and once you're ready to buy, be sure to get 20% off your first year by heading to textexpander.com slash podcast and choosing PC Perspective from the Where Did You Hear About Us drop-down menu. Again, that's 20% off your first year at textexpander.com slash podcast and choosing PC Perspective from the drop-down menu. Thanks so much to Text Expander for supporting the PC Perspective podcast. Hey, we're back. Let's talk about, is it VESA, VISA? Not VISA. Well, kind of, they're, they're involved. Is it VESA? I don't know. It's a word that I see all the time and I never say it out loud. No VISA. So are you aware, listeners, viewers, that it's going to be possible to use something called DisplayPort alternate mode with USB Type-C to literally double the available bandwidth for video by literally like, like what they're doing is they're utilizing the both sides of the serial interface because this signal is going in only one direction. But I mean, that's crazy. You'll be able to drive 8k 60 Hertz displays at 444 color because it will have 77 gigabits per second available. That's even more than USB 2.0, or than HDMI 2.1, isn't it? Or what is HDMI 2.1 spec for bandwidth? It's half of that, isn't it? It's not 8K. I don't I want to say 40, but I don't think I'm right. Because yeah, right now, uh, HDMI 2.0A, I think, is 18 gigabit per second. Or at least the cables yeah, have to be. I think the new spec is going to match the, the, the basic Thunderbolt 3, which is 4 gigabits. Okay. I think, uh, but honestly, I've, I've, how many flavors of HDMI do we have to keep track of at this point? I'm looking at a chart here. Six or uh, eight? There's A's and B's. One, yeah. 1.1 B. 1.1 B. 1.1 He did such a nice job. Jim is so good. Look at that. So the HDMI 2.1 mm-hmm. specification. 48. So 48. Ooh. So 48. Okay. So this new Thunderbolt alternate mode, or whatever it's called, it's going to provide... Yeah, it's going to provide not quite twice that, but still quite a bit more. DisplayPort alt mode 2.0. Now, do you think this is going to be in a lot of devices? Is this Because here's one of the things about it, and I think it was a non-tech who was talking about this. This was not necessarily uh, invented to be a new cable standard or a new standard to go from your PC to your monitor. This is more of like an ultra short run to a docking station kind of a thing. Mm. But like no, you can do it straight into a monitor. Not, you can. Well, I wonder what the limitation is on cable runs. Uh, Probably very short. Uh, I would assume short, but I, I, I didn't actually look that up. But no, because the, the nice thing about this with DisplayPort Alt Mode 2.0, because, you know, it's has to have a 2.0 on it is that neither the sender nor the receiver needs an extra USB controller. It's all handled, you know, just by the software to say, yeah, we, we don't need any uh, receive lanes. It, it's all just send out to your monitor. So that, that actually does make things a lot easier to implement because if you make it, if you make your, your display able to accept it, 
just by, you know, your programming controller so that it will accept this. That's it. It's done. You don't need an adapter. You, you, it's not like, uh, I mean, to, to pull one of the air J sync where you need an actual controller inside of the monitor to be able to handle things. In this case, it's just handled natively. This is nifty. And one of those, yeah, it's so simple. Why didn't we think of it right out of the bat? Is, you know, how much are you going to get back from your monitor? You don't need it. Boom, done. And there you go. You've got 8K display, so you can see which of these are actually blackheads and which are just pores. Because <laughs> apparently that's what people want. So I... If it was a uh, 40 megabit synchronous, there's no reason why they couldn't turn it around. There's no signaling interference. Yep. If it was already synchronous, they're already com- it's already competitive signaling on the line at the same time, which means it's properly insulated for 80, 80 megabit uh, single direction. And I believe that still leaves uh, enough wire for what's called one wire signaling. So you should be able to, they should be able to talk to each other to yep. say, hey, are you capable of, of doing this over that one wire and then flip? All yeah, the other because uh, about 2.63 is re- reserved for that. 2.63 oh, gigabits. Yeah. So there's still some overbit or, or overhead. There's always overhead. Left. <laughs> so, Jeremy, you wrote up a quick news post for us about the DXR Spotlight. I'd forgotten uh, about yes. this. This was, this was uh, I think they did this last year. And obviously DXR, it's in Microsoft DirectX 12. It is basically ray tracing that's not RTX exclusive. But NVIDIA hosts a DXR Spotlight contest using the Which new is, Unreal Engine. Which uh, is RTX exclusive. Is it? That's what I figured. If it's NVIDIA yes. sponsored, why would it not be? Sorry, it, it kind of have to need... Uh, you're going to need to use Unreal Engine 4.25 and an RTX-powered card. However... Uh, this is being held last year. Uh, it was for the introduction of, Hey, look, here's ray tracing, uh, in an acceptable way, uh, as opposed to, you know, (laughs) Intel's, uh, take on it. The, one of the demos, uh, I believe this is, uh, Christian hack, uh, with his, uh, 50 sci-fi sort of, uh, tribute, but you know, the, the special effects were a wee bit better than you got from your fifties B movies. There was another one uh, which I, I put up, uh, which is the Opus Visuals LP tree uh, LP trailer, which is you know a gorgeous drive through a, a trucking lot, and it's rained recently, and they've just done some brilliant work on the reflections. It, it's asphalt's a very difficult one to deal with, and they did it relatively well. Uh, the other, the third place, uh, Alden Filion is still developing Diode, uh, which is a sort of a high tech night game that will be coming out relatively soon where, you know, it'd be a science fiction night killing the hell out of people. Should be interesting. Oh, that kind of and night. again, okay. Utterly gorgeous. This year, uh, it's the same deal where anyone is invited in. Uh, as if you can put a tech demo together of 30 seconds minimum or longer, be you a developer for a large company, be you someone on their own. You can work on this, and, you know, as long as you're using uh, the Unreal Engine 4.25 with its brand new support for what is essentially the next DX, you have until June 26th to submit your tech demo. Unlike last year, where everyone went through, 
Every one of those three people I mentioned won a Titan RTX GPU. In this case, uh, what you're looking at is, for the first place, a Razer Blade 15 Studio Edition laptop and 250 bucks to spend on your Unreal Engine Marketplace. And that, uh, look up that Razer Blade. It's, it's a piece of machinery. I'd expect the battery life on it to be about 45 seconds without it being plugged in. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> Uh, if you come in second, you get an RTX uh, 27Z Super, and third place is a 2060 Super. In each case, you're going to get at least some money to spend on the Unreal Engine Marketplace uh, so that you can benefit from a lot of the work that other people have done. And Lord knows if you come in well on this, you may well be selling your own stuff on the Unreal Marketplace. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Unreal Engine uh, 4.25 can do. Uh, I'm still mostly better about how the new Unreal Tournament didn't even become a tech demo. It's just sort of flaked off and disappeared, and it will come back. I know it will. Uh, What was our last story? Oh, E3. Apparently, a little bit of E3 is still happening. Uh, This story is a bit old at this point, but it's still coming in June. Scott writes that long canceled, one of the keynotes is still happening. So the PC Gaming Show 2020 has been confirmed for June 6. Intel Epic Games Store. I will refrain from commentary about them and my recent issues with them. Tripwire Interactive Frontier Merge Humble Bundle, Gorilla Collective, and Perfect World. had signed on as partners as of April 30th, so I wonder if there'll be more. But interesting to see what kind of a virtual show they can put together. Obviously, last year I was at E3. I was in Los Angeles because AMD had brought a whole bunch of media out there and we were being briefed on the newest architectures like the, the Zen 2 launch was coming and we had RDNA. And of course, with the current global situation, we aren't having an E3 conference. We haven't gone anywhere in months. So uh, that's interesting. We'll have to see who all is participating there. But I think that covers it for the news. Josh, you have a review of the ASRock X570 Phantom Gaming X motherboard to share with us. I do. Anyway. Well, you really want to hear this? I, I mean, you can give us some highlights. It's what, what we did you really, think really want. Is it a good yeah, board? Uh, it was a very good board. It was an incredibly overbuilt uh, uh, VRM on that thing. Uh, it was pretty quiet. Sure, it had a chipset fan, but that thing barely even runs under most. Now, if you had, had uh, you know, installed PCIe 4.0 SSDs into the lower two M.2 slots that would go to the chipset, I am betting that it would have spun up if you really were hammering those things. But otherwise, it was very quiet. Um, the build quality seemed very good. Uh, I've been using this for many months, sadly, or goodly, depending on how you look at it. And so I've never had any issues so far with it. It is a good-looking board. Uh, it's got RGB that you can control either through BIOS or through the ASRock uh, uh, utility. Um, the one interesting thing is it's got a giant plate that covers pretty much the bottom half of the board and they send a Torx screwdriver 
in the motherboard box that you use to untorque three screws on that and you lift it up. And the first time I ever tried lifting up, I had no idea what I was doing. I was pulling up, pulling up, pulling up. And it wasn't coming up because, well, there was a pretty significant thermal piece of tape. Boy, I look terrible there. But, you know, what's new? Uh, underneath the uh, the heat sink, you can see it sitting there right by the, the, the fan. Ye yeah. gods, man. And it, um, and it stuck in there pretty, pretty good. Now, one of the other issues of this is if you swap out M.2 drives, you need to be aware that the thermal pads are sticky. And there are reports of people who put their M.2 drives, clamp those down, and then put this monstrosity of a heat sink on them. And when they pull them off, they're not paying enough attention. They're like, well, this is kind of hard. They're just going to jerk it off. And the adhesive, well, it, 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 it deballs the uh, memory on M.2 cards that, um, yeah, it's, it's not good. And so if you have this board and you want to swap out, you're going to need to be really careful when you uh, take this thing off because you could ruin your very, very expensive M.2 drives. Um, so that's not really a positive. It's one thing I didn't cover extensively because as I did some more research uh, after I, I recorded a video a while back that, you know, that's that's a serious issue that people have. And so I kind of wish that they wouldn't have the adhesive on those. But if you're going to sit and uh, leave this be forever after you install M.2 uh, drives, it's not going to be an issue. And again, if you're careful with it and is slow with taking that big old heat sink off, you're probably going to be fine as well. So just uh, kind of a word of warning. It's like, you know, you don't want to stick your cactus in a certain orifice because do mm. you really need that warning? But anyway, uh, besides so the point, put it in the audio is, oven for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, maybe you should it. heat it up a little bit. I mean, even if it's like hairdryer, level, your hairdryer. Let it... exactly. Yeah, well, that's smarter. Yeah. I complained yeah, about the heat gun. Put it the, oven. the heat gun is is way right out. Don't use too the heat hot. gun. That's Air dryer level. You can damage things with the heat gun. No, Trust me. Not unless you mean to do Why that. Why are half and, the chips and it's falling fine. off my motherboard after this heat gun was passed over it for the Look, last 15 minutes? It wouldn't be the first time that I'd ever put a motherboard into the oven and fixed it. No, it would not. So there. Yeah, and which okay. is, that's fine. That's fine. That or a heat fine. gun. Yeah. But, yep. But a hairdryer level, just to loosen that adhesive, probably a hot tip. And I mean that literally. I so do not like uh, the bottom panel being all solid, just like Josh brings up. Because I just want to oh, say real quick, the Z390 Phantom Gaming oh. X. The Z390 Phantom Gaming X has the same design. And it should just have individual plates that come off for each M.2 drive. But Josh. Yeah, I, would, I, I, I agree with you there. The large plate, though, aesthetically pleasing... Is 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 not as good as I would like. I, I would I would really rather have three individuals like on the Aorus, uh, you know, the Gigabyte Aorus Elite that I've got in my other machine. It's got you know a single one, and it's not adhesive, and so you're not going to run the risk of of destroying your M.2 NVMe drive. Um, no, I'm assuming dual, the CMOS uh, battery is under there as well, somewhere under there. Yeah, you're gonna need to throw it through an X-ray machine to be able to see it. 
but Mori will love it. He will love it. Uh, yeah, talk about having to uninstall all of your components to get to that CMOS battery, which is under the PEG1 slot. Hey, why are there PCI Express switching chips on this? I thought this was an AMD board. I guess it's just a design choice for routing. Well, yeah, PCI I mean, you've only signals. got, what, 24 lanes coming off a of CPU. Four, yep. four, four of those come from... Uh, uh, the, they go to the chipset, and then another four go to the first M.2. Well, I mean, you've got to split that 16, you know, that by 16 peg into by eight, and that's why they have those chips there. So if you plug a video card into the first one, you got a full 16, slap a second one into the second one, then, you know, it, it halves that for each one. So you've got eight and eight, and so that's why you've got those those little, little switches in there. Uh, it's got dual um ethernet one is a 2.5 g unit which is nice but there are only a certain amount of people who have switches that actually you know conform to that standard um usually it's it's 10 g switches will go down to 2.5 and there aren't a tremendous amount of uh 2.5 switches out there that are affordable that would be a nice thing to have for people running uh, some serious home storage networks. Um, it's not going to do much for you know gaming because online gaming you're you're going to be limited to your 100 megabit, 200 megabit, one gigabit um, internet, depending on what you got. I mean, if you got CenturyLink, then you're sitting at 15 megabit DSL. Unless you got fiber, anyway. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's a nice feature, but it's one that will be a little bit more focused. I mean, people who want to have and then check, you know, check off those check boxes. That's uh, certainly it. The other one is an Intel one gigabit controller. It's got Wi-Fi six, which is nice. Uh, especially if you, you know, you, you've, you've got a, a router that will support that. Uh, you're going to have some pretty fast, low latency throughput. Uh, with your wireless and for a 350 well it's now less than that dollar board uh, it kind of hits all the check boxes it, it it does have good audio uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of you know high quality capacitors around the audio um, they don't have the nehemic support but there is another i can't remember offhand i think it's a uh, uh, sound blasters little audio uh, functionality that you can uh, download from the Windows Store uh, if you go through a bunch of hoops. It's a pain in the butt, but you can do it. There it is. Sound Blaster Connect. It's free, and you got it, baby. But, uh, yeah, overall, it is it's it is a board that you don't feel bad paying that amount of money for because it's extremely solid. It's heavy. It's got a lot of features. It's got everything you could possibly need. It's got the, the USB Gen 3, uh, you know, uh, front panel connectivity on that. I think it's got two of them uh, through there. You know, wait, wait for me to remember what I've got all on this board that I reviewed. Um, it's good stuff, Maynard. And it's, uh, it's a solid board. You won't feel bad spending that money just because they throw a lot of stuff at you. I've never had an issue uh, it's, it's, you know, it's as good as you can expect for overclocking an AMD Ryzen Zen 2 based processor, which 
those things just don't overclock. But this is going to be able to push you up to that very, very, very ragged edge uh, because the VRMs are just so well built and uh, cooling is is decent on it. And it's a really fun board. Uh, you know, BIOS uh, firmware, easy to get through, all kinds of settings you can you can adjust, uh, really tweak things out. And ASRock has, has really improved themselves over the years. Uh, I mean, it used to be kind of a joke in the, you know, the mid 2000s, like, oh, you're going to buy an ASRock, huh? And then they hired on some pretty good designers and uh, really have improved their product by leaps and bounds. And, and now they're right up there with the top three in terms of how many boards that they're shipping. I mean, Asus still has the uh, the crown there, but everybody else is is fighting for that second place. And ASRock certainly has some some really good products out there. And, uh, you know, again, it's all what you're willing to spend. It's got all of the features. It's got the build quality. It's got the power delivery. Uh, you know, the fan, even though it's got a little chipset fan, I never noticed it in any kind of work. Uh, you got plenty of SATA ports. You've got the start and reset button. You've got your LED diagnostic it's just got to know. And so it's, uh, you know, the only thing it doesn't have is, is, is a 10G Ethernet, which, again, how many people own a 10G switch in their house? Sure, at work with an enterprise, but in your house? Yeah, no. But anyway. Uh, in terms well, and you got the lanes to add one if you want it. Yeah, you do. In terms of performance, I, I compared it against the, the, the MSI X470 Gaming M7, which is, you know, one of the top previous generation products out there. And you're really, I mean, from the majority of benchmarks, you don't see a whole lot of difference. Uh, you do see slightly more performance in, in some applications with the, uh, the X570. But again, the, the biggest jump is using that PCI 4.0 SSD on that board versus anything else. And it just just kind of blows it out of the water if you've got a PCI 4.0 native SSD. So look at those numbers. It's massive going from three to four. Got a lot. That actually so, shows the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, that's it, nice. One would hope. For this well, for the money. longest time, yeah, we haven't seen much, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this is a, this is a significant uh, advancement in uh, in storage. If only we could get more storage controllers than the Fizon E16. <laughs> Josh, I learned a little bit uh, the Astrock background uh, actually when I watched your video. I didn't know that they had come from um, somehow split off from Asus. Still there, yeah. I didn't know that. I, I don't know all the background, but but back in early two thousands, uh, they they kind of split off, and they were going to be kind of their their low, uh, very very budget oriented, and it all just kind of they they separated, well, and and as yeah, they was grew doing up that for a while, but then yeah, they got better and better and better. Well, they bailed on the sort of the storage stuff that they were doing for a while, and focused on the motherboards, and yeah, like you said, the the change. There's just the sheer growth of performance that the ASRock boards have done is amazing. Hey, that's weird. You should, yeah. you should say that because Asus is actually doing a legit line of uh, of network storage, NAS. They've got yeah. a actually fairly significant line of NAS. I was actually looking at maybe purchasing one, but hmm. 
lot of performance for the dollar on the Asus NASAs. Yeah. It's weird that you would say that because they're now doing the network uh, <laughs> storage stuff. But anyway, just wrapping up the, the motherboard, I gave it the editor's choice. Uh, yeah, it's expensive. Uh, but as we have seen from the new um, Z490 line, not nearly that expensive. <laughs> but it followed the lead there, Intel. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, gosh, how do you feel about this versus blow. the Tai Chi? How does this stack up versus their own Tai Chi? As far as uh, you know, it is a little bit better. I think it's got a more robust VRM. Um, yeah. They both, you know, the the higher end Tai Chi line that they've they have integrated the 10G chip, but again. The utility of that is is questionable, and that 10G chip was pretty warm, and it pulled a few more watts than I think that you know it, you really want on on a consumer grade motherboard. But uh, you know everything else, the wireless, um, dual Ethernet, cooling, lighting control, uh, it, it, it's it's. It's a good enough upgrade from the Tai Chi to kind of justify that price. Uh, but again, the, the Tai Chi was extremely popular in the X470 days. Um, you know, I, I think really with the X370 Tai Chi, that was when ASRock kind of, you know, threw down the hammer uh, to everybody else. It's like, this is what we offer. And we think it's significantly better for the price than everybody else. And, and it was... That was they were kind right. of true. I mean, the Tai Chi was a was a great, great board in the X three seventy and X four seventy days, and so you know they're just trying to kind of one up that with a little bit better feature set, better VRMs, uh, a little bit you know it, it just you know odds and ends in here so to, to to make it a nice, nice product. Sorry, I was just looking at the old PC per podcast bingo sheet uh, and trying to. Were you trying to score? We hit a few. Yeah, I was yeah. going through the episode so far. I guess we don't really have the same memes as there once no. were. We got to come up with our own. They're, well, sadly, it's become much more difficult to turn Josh red. I have There's an really... entire video of him reviewing a motherboard with a whole magenta cast on him. So yeah, <laughs> but that's just his background video. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I really don't get better lighting. We, we need the whole motley knees <laughs> with the, the bright red. <laughs> there you Who's go. doing there that? Go. <laughs> Who's doing that? <laughs> I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> well, so you know, hey, motherboard review from Josh always good. Some video content from us, which is you know a rarity. Other than the weekly podcast. But hey, Editor's Choice Award from Josh. And uh, real quick, Ooh. I'll go through this. For anybody who knows what a 60% keyboard is, you probably also know what who Ducky is. And if you go to like mechanicalkeyboards.com. So yeah, it is. It's the this is the Ducky 1-2 Mini. Because you know it's a not a confusing product name at all. But HyperX has teamed up with them to offer this under their brand. So it's the HyperX. I think it's technically called the HyperX X Ducky 1-2 Mini. I'm not sure how the X is pronounced. But it's it's a Ducky 1-2 Mini. It's got a different color scheme. The bottom panel on this one is red. So this matches the HyperX uh, color uh, branding. 
And then the top of it is essentially the same. If you were to go and look at one of the Ducky 1-2 minis out there online, there's one very similar to this with a white base. This one sells for $109.99. Uh, the, the Ducky 1-2 minis start at $99. So it's not really high. There are different collaborations out there. There's this Llama. Uh, I cannot remember the full name, but there's a new variant of it that's like a, a pastel color scheme, and that's going to be like $129. So the, the limited run versions of this tend to be more expensive. I've seen them up to 179 bucks. But what's really different about this is because it's from HyperX, it's using the HyperX switches. And the last two HyperX keyboard reviews I've done, the Alloy Origins, I checked out the red, which are in this one, and the Aqua. And the, the red switch, it's similar to a Cherry MX Red, but it's a little bit lighter feeling like it has a lower overall travel distance of 3.8 millimeters it has a 1.8 millimeter actuation distance which compared to a cherry mx red that's 2.0 and 4.0 so just a little bit shorter and the shorter throw mixed with the feel of these double shot pbt pbt keycaps which are these feel amazing I, the build quality of this even though it's all plastic is very robust and it feels super solid it's like about 1.3 pounds. It's not super heavy. They do, uh, Ducky makes uh, versions of this keyboard with an aluminum chassis that's a little bit uh, more robust, but this is kind of their basic Ducky 1-2 mini design. And I was very impressed with it. One of the things about these, the Ducky keyboards, they don't rely on any kind of software. Everything's on the keyboard. So there's different uh, button combinations you have to get used to if you want to change settings on the board or use alternate keys. And with a 60% design like this, there's no, uh, there are no arrow keys. You have to go up to 65% for that. So this is not for everyone. Absolutely, if you need arrow keys, you get a 65% instead of a 60%. You can make this work. Uh, the By default, I, J, K, and L are the arrow keys on this, but you have to hold down a function modifier button. But this is this is like an enthusiast kind of tweaker's keyboard company. So, I mean, there are little dip switches on the base. I don't even know what they do. And I was looking through the the manual, which is not mo It's not in English particularly. Like it, there's some English text in it. I have to do a little bit more research to actually fully learn how to use this thing. But uh, it's it's a very impressive, and I can't describe to you over video what it feels like. Uh, check out the Hardware Canucks video on the the last version of this, the one that had the the shell. I linked to that, the, the aluminum shell version. I linked to that in the review. And he uses a high-quality microphone and actually like does button presses for you. But the, it's a very, very satisfying thing. I don't know what it is. It's somewhere, something about the, the key travel distance, the wonderful like PBT keycap feel. And just the overall solid construction, it feels amazing to type on. Uh, this is the ASMR part of the show. Yeah, exactly. Let me let me reroute the microphone. I'll turn the boost <laughs> up a little bit, and then we'll just. Uh... Where are the arrow keys? Anyway, so check out the that's, review. That's intolerable. Gotta have arrow keys, is, man. Sir. I know. I, 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 
I intentionally refrained from complaining about that in the review because I'm not here to review what the 60% form factor is useful for. I would personally, I think this is outstanding. And I think that the footprint is very appealing, especially somebody like me who I always have a system upstairs. There's not enough space in my house and I'm, I've lost my office because it became my son's room. So making the most of what limited desktop space you have, this is great for that. And it would be great for a living room keyboard too, especially if they make a wireless version of this. But I need arrow keys. I can live without a numpad. I've done it before, but I don't know how I'd live without arrow keys too. But it's a nice product. I I pointed out one small... Oh, look at that. Here we go. Is this your full-time keyboard, Jeremy? He might be muted. No, I, I think he's just got a cig in his mouth, and he's, he's not talking. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was... Yeah, he's, he's pressing the keys, and you can't hear anything. Yeah, see, it's He's quiet. turning stuff off and on. It's, it's a do membrane. You, do you spill on your keyboard a lot? He rolls it up and smokes products through it. So that, Okay, there yeah. you go. Well, I haven't tried is, that yet. This is, this is my current one, too. Oh, no. Oh, it's... Wait, if you're going to get the wired version, why not get the one with a numpad, man? I guess... Because I like, I the, feel, I like the feel of this one better. Interesting. But I thought no, that was the same. It's the I have one of the one longer made. aluminum ones. And but, it's washable. That, because I, I, don't have the, I don't have the space for it, so I, yeah. I went with the shorter, older one because I wanted... I, I use a trackpad, actually. I know, I'm sorry. The magic trackpad? I do. Oh he is king God. at Counter-Strike 1.6 yep. on that trackpad. But but I, I keep this at the back for mousing around. You know, this just is for a, aesthetic a, a purposes? No, no. This is an M720. It's actually pretty good. I like this one. It's relatively quiet. Multi-button on the side. Multi-association. Um, so I use that for mousing and gaming. Uh-huh. But for every day, says I use the, a trackpad. says the Apple keyboard and magic trackpad user uh, what's uh, you can take the app you can take the apple laptop away from me but you can't take it away from my fingers <laughs> an essential purchase all the accessories there you go yep. the f- don't be fooled by the fact that it's still no sealed that was a giveaway at a all show. the time oh <laughs> that was a giveaway at a show it's it's never actually been opened if you ever need an emergency one, there it is. Hey, it wouldn't be the first time. So I'm you know what? We're, on me. we're heading up on two hours. Shall we, yes, shall we yes. wrap this up? Let's get into the picks then, Jeremy. You have one here. Yeah. Um, we all bitch about capacitor wine. But if you realize that the capacitor wine could be spilling your secrets, even on your air gap system, as I put my uh, rollable keyboard away. Yes, you uh, sure if you're not paranoid enough. Wine or coil wine? Well, it's, well, I mean, it's... What about choke noise? Could it be choke noise? Coil wine that there's, I mean. No, it's just coil. It's coil. Anyway, go ahead. But no, this is capacitor singing. Huh, interesting. This, this is terrifying, actually, not even interesting. Uh, there's a researcher that's figured out a way of... Uh, Turning your air gap system, like it's beyond the, the scope of the research as to how you would inject this vulnerability into a system. 
but power supply, it, it literally turns your power supply unit into a basic speaker. And you've removed the speakers from your gap system because that has already been proven to be a way that you can uh, passively monitor what's going on on the machine. But no, bloody hell, they, they've never figured out a way to uh, do what is called officially the seeing capacitor phenomenon. And as the current passes through a capacitor at specific frequencies, it generates various different audio frequencies. So even after you've air gapped the system, made sure it's never been on the internet, Removed the speaker, made sure that uh, the monitor is uh, covered by some sound dampening things so they can't get anything of that off of you. Uh, soundproofed your room so they can't get the, the reflective spying off of you. Yeah, it might be the power supply that gives you away. And that one's pretty hard to remove from a system. So yeah, it, it's it's not a good pick, but it's it's good to know that this exists. So if you're sitting next to your computer and you suddenly hear it oscillating, like what might sound like Morse code get suspicious. Is that what you're saying? Well, you can do ultra and infra and uh, you'll never even know. Because some of those frequencies are going to be high enough. Your ear is never going to pick them up. Now, when the dog starts spinning around in circles, then that's probably a problem. Yeah, that, that might be a good giveaway. <laughs> so it's interesting research to, to just to look up to see how crazy uh, the systems that we're do- dealing with are. We all need to be terrified, I guess. I saw something about like this and I didn't want to read about it, but yeah. Yeah, I read about it because like, like a car accident, you can't stop rubbernecking. Uh, my pick is very quick. I the last few days have been watching a lot of these computer history museum videos on YouTube because that's the kind of person I am while I benchmark. And I was very interested in this interview with Morris Chang. Uh, he is the founder of TSMC. It was fascinating to hear his perspective on business and the founding of the company in the early days and basically how he left it in a position to become what it is today, which is it was already the global leader. It was already the biggest fab. And it's just, as we've seen with Zen 2 and the, the new Ryzen parts, it's just, you know, exploding. And everything, everybody seems to go to TSMC except for Intel. So it's it's a fascinating journey for about, I don't know, an hour and a half. And the the person interviewing him is none other than NVIDIA CEO Jensing Wong. So it's fascinating to see the two of them sitting together and just talking and some inside info and joking back and forth. Cause he's obviously been a NVIDIA has been a big customer of TSMC for many years. So I enjoyed it. It's worth a watch, especially if you're doing something like benchmarking endlessly. From 2007 too. Interesting. Brett. Yeah. Where's the leather jacket on that? I, I tried to come up like with something. Like I said, it's from so, 2007. Oh, pre- okay. okay. Pre- leather jacket. jacket. Yeah, era. Thank you for clearing that up because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I thought I recognized him, but I wasn't sure without the, without the uh, the leathers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's wearing yeah other leather so, garments, but yeah, okay. Anyway, so uh, if you are into photography or action photography, I have like a whole bunch of GoPros and 
and torpedo cameras and stuff like that. I got them next to me, which if there was Are part you into of the, candid the, photography I, and hit and nudge, nudge, say no more. No, actually, oh, candid. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if I should agree with that or not. Um, Holiday but snaps. if you're into wait, so, so are you saying, so if you're not into candid photography, you, you generally are posing. Is that what you're saying? Like you're staging and posing? No, no, I am not posing or anything like that. This is an action photography. Yeah. Wait There's a minute. So many things so I do that are wrong, how, but this is probably how, not one of them. How hard and <laughs> yeah. fast is this action that you're talking about? It's fairly fast, and you can take mm-hmm. it as hard as you can stand it. Say no more. Exactly. Tune in to my YouTube channel next time. So this is uh, <laughs> this is so that your camera doesn't come off during those during those action uh, poses. <laughs> so this. <laughs> Wait, I'm is not done. A, Wait, is that a suction cup on the bottom of this camera mount? What is that? It. It is, and that is my pick of the week. Oh, so, Jim, if okay. you could if you could punch through the suction cup mount here, this is for <laughs> as much suction as you can possibly stand in order to keep your camera from flying off at high speeds. I highly recommend this, and I've actually uh, put it to the test. Uh, if you, this is actually on the roof of my car, on the what's called the back of the dragon, so that's this. This mechanism that when when Jim cuts back, that's actually this thing right here for, on the roof of my car at fifty it, to sixty it, miles an hour. The dragon, um, code for smoking opium. Um, you know what? Uh, uh, not heroin, this yes. time uh, under this under these uh, camera conditions that that could be that's on a different card. I don't I don't share that. I don't share. Yeah, that. And it's much easier on the roof than uh, taping a chicken to it, right? It is way better on the roof than take me, take me a chicken. So I just wanted to say that I'm not only a recommender, I'm actually, you know, an owner and a trier outer. And this is a Hero 7 Black. So I didn't want this. Clearly, I did not want this flying off the roof of my car. Yeah, there you go. It sounds like a great way to practice social distancing between you and your Hero Black. Because it's on one side of the roof. You're on the other side. <laughs> that is the world's flattest windscreen I've seen. What, what kind of car do you drive? That's a that in this video is a Volkswagen Scirocco. I was going to say that that Alan would be very very proud. That looked like a Scirocco. He knows exactly what car this is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and sorry, is this uh, Jim has rejoined us, and he says shut Jim. up. <laughs> that's, that's Alan Maltavino. <laughs> you know it is actually. You know what? It probably is. And Alan says, "Good on you, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> uh i think that's it actually nobody else uh, no more oh. picks what no what you have more i was looking over here off. in the chat to see if alan had said anything so but it was actually oh, okay. a picture of jim wrestling with himself yeah no, he's wrestling saying with some strong emotions in that picture aliens yes, yes so it's definitely aliens it is definitely aliens so yeah that was my pick hey we made it to the end of the show in one piece. It's only been two hours and I'm sure Jim will cut this down to a, probably a tight one hour and 55 minutes before it's all through. But uh, yeah, you can join us generally speaking Wednesday or Thursday nights every week. We record one of these things and it goes up shortly thereafter after Jim spends the entire sleepless night 
painstakingly editing it into something palatable. But uh, check out PCPro.com. There's links in the show notes and on the website for Josh's review, for example, that has its own little dedicated page and it's on our YouTube channel. If you want to hear more of Josh talking about the X570 Phantom Gaming X or PGX motherboard, read our review of the 3100. Well, hey, Jim probably chopped it up a little bit, added some pictures. There's pretty graphs. Uh, read the review of these things, the 3100 and 3100X. Just, uh, I've added a little bit more to the review since I woke up. I put one more gaming benchmark in there, but it's, it's probably fine. We'll, we'll cover more about the whole budget gaming scene and the, the 1600 AF and that sort of thing soon. But until then, thanks for watching, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>